Welcome to the Volusi Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. So, uh, on the subject of the Olympics, what are your thoughts on uh, the um, transgender uh, weightlifter from New Zealand being allowed to compete in the female category? I think it's unfair to biological females to let a a man who transitioned compete. They have too many um, unfair advantages from growing up a biological male. What's your take? Uh, my take is pretty simplistic. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure people who support transgender communities are going to be upset, but I actually don't think it should be okay. But not because of the transgender issue, not because of the transitioning issue. It's not even, it basically has nothing to do with gender. Um, it's because of drugs. You aren't allowed to compete in the Olympics if you've done drugs. And people only ever think of in, uh, drugs that enhance your performance, performance-enhancing drugs like steroids and stuff like that. If you take performance-enhancing drugs, you are not allowed to compete. Something people don't realize, if you take uh, performance-inhibiting drugs, let's say you smoke marijuana, you're actually still not allowed to c compete. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, you're not allowed to compete if you smoke, let's say, again, I reference everything to judo because that's the one thing I know really, really well. I know that in Quebec, the judo guys and their sort of national team, so it'd be the provincial team and then you go up to the nationals, but the provincial team, they used to take a shot of some kind of alcohol before they fought and this was to bring their nerves down. Uh, and so that technically is not performance enhancing. It would be actually inhibiting. But what it's also doing is inhibiting your nerves. Uh, and that can actually be the thing you have to get over most. I was a very, very good club fighter. So in a judo club with uh, not a tournament, I was excellent. When I got into tournament, my performance suffered. And it suffered because I was so nervous and worked up. So a hit off of uh, marijuana, uh, a shot of alcohol would have calmed me down and that may have improved my performance. So that's something to be aware of. There are different ways to affect your performance. Actually, sometimes by bringing down the overall, you actually prefer, uh, bring down like a little bit, you actually improve your performance overall. So I didn't express that very well. But the idea, like it's, the idea is clear. But it's also the same as blood doping. Blood doping, you take blood out of your body and then later you put it back in. Now that seems like it wouldn't really, it's your blood. Uh, why is that not okay? Well, it's not okay because you have more blood in your body, which means more oxygen uh, stuff moving around. It gives you sort of more endurance than other athletes. And you've done your training with less blood in your body. Uh, it's why 
Some athletes do high altitude tra training. So why is high altitude training is okay and blood doping is not okay when the result is similar? Well, one takes willpower. You have to go to, let's say, Colorado and train at a high altitude and push yourself physically to make that change uh, through sheer acts of will. You can't use drugs to simulate or change or get that result. Now, for a man to transition into a woman, it does require the use of drugs. And so that makes it unfair to the people who don't get to use drugs. Because I, I watch MMA and stuff. And one of the few opinions of Joe Rogan's that I 100% agree with, when you watch a man who's transitioned into a woman fight another woman, it is disgusting. It's just, you can see that the physical power is still there. The bone density is still there. I mean, honestly, if you had transitioned pre-puberty, maybe it's okay. But then again, the use of drugs comes into play. That means you've changed something and you haven't changed it via willpower. And you say, well, you can't transition physically because by willpower alone. I was like, well, that's unfortunate uh, because I'm sure if you could, a lot of people would actually do that. But the reality is, you're using drugs to alter your physical being. That's not fair. If the other people don't get to use drugs to alter their physical being as well. There's a joke. I think it was on Saturday in Live, and it was like the all drugs Olympics. Honestly, I'm kind of okay with that. It just has to be the same for everybody. That If you look at the, listen to the C McBee, Olympic level hate, I think it was C McBee 13. Really, the only thing I say is the Olympics have to be fair. So I get annoyed when rich countries win all the gold medals. So that's something to be aware of. Like if you think about it, it's that unfairness of these guys having better facilities and better training than the other countries. That's what bugs me. Any changes you make that are external or use something else, that's unfair to the other players and shouldn't be allowed in the game. I believe it would be really fair to have a third Olympics. So you have the Olympics, the Paralympics, and in this case, the Transolympics. Now, it would be a much smaller pool of players at the moment, but maybe that will grow over time, especially if it gets popular. I think the Transolympics would be a really valuable thing to promoting uh, trans people. And then you would have no arguments from me and probably anyone else because they've had the same drug reg regime to change their bodies. Uh, they've gotten to the same point the same way. It's a fair competition that way. And they're not competing against someone who grew up uh, and has like lesser bone density or lesser muscle mass, things like that. There's also like the Paralympics has those athletes who've lost their legs and they use those blades. And they actually find that some of those athletes with the blades can run faster than people with just legs. But there's a reason those guys aren't allowed in the regular Olympics, even though they're faster, and it's because of that modification. So that actually is coming down to sort of the same thing, is that it has to be a level playing field, which means everyone has to be kind of the same. Uh, there was a girl that was kicked out of the Olympics for naturally producing too much testosterone. And I actually really disagree that she should have been kicked out. She should, they should have been said like, wow, it's really lucky that her body just naturally produces more testosterone, so she's bigger and stronger than the other girls. It's the same thing like Michael Phelps has really big feet. Uh, he has a swimmer's body. That was just a stroke of genetics, a stroke of luck. He has big feet which act as flippers and that's why he gets to kick and it actually pushes him through the water faster. 
That's not unfair, but if I suddenly took a drug to grow my feet or change my body in that way to make me a faster swimmer, that would be unfair to the other swimmers. Those are the reasons I actually think it's not right. And it's not really a moral issue. It's just trying to keep everything as fair as humanly possible. It's story time. I was a kid once. This was pre-internet. I bet now, I don't know. Anyways, I was a strangely violent child for no reason. This is actually a weird middle-class suburban thing where you get like just angry boys. It seems like mostly boys. Like punk rock kids that come from middle-class homes. They're often very angry about something. I was. I wasn't like a punk rock kid per se. I certainly fit into the category of unnecessarily angry at the world. And I was like, I was looking something to be angry about, which I think maybe is true for a lot of people. I just, it strikes me now that it doesn't make any sense at all. Cause my kids are really well adjusted. Like if my son was really angry, I would really wonder why, but I, w- I was very attracted to violent things. Uh, it's one of the reasons my, I think my parents put me in judo when I was a little kid and I really took to it. This was middle school. So this is either grade six, seven or eight probably grade six so how old are you? you're 11 which is oh that's that's gotta be it because that's a perfect time to get into trouble and be naive at the same time and not know how to handle problems because you're still experiencing a lot of things for the first time and i think this may be the first time i got ripped off and in a situation where there's nothing i could do about it i don't remember his last name his first name was kirk now, kirk was a big kid i believe he had failed a grade he was bigger than everyone else and he had like heavy metal shirts he he was a metallica shirt wearing kid i guess back then it was probably motley crew and stuff it had things with skulls and flames it was the black shirt with the white sleeves i remember that as being a very heavy metal thing i don't know maybe that was just canadian kirk was cool because he was kind of bigger and older than everyone else i didn't really like him but it was still at the age where you kind of seek approval so I, I wanted Kirk to like me, and it was it was rare for him to talk to me. And I don't know how we would have gotten onto the topic. Maybe he just saw me as, as a mark. But somehow we got into a conversation that he could get me a butterfly knife. And to me, a butterfly knife was like the coolest thing you could have. You flip it open, and you stabby stabby, and you flip it closed. I mean, that was it. It was cooler than a switchblade. Switchblades were cool. Stiletto blades were above switchblades. Butterfly knives were the peak because you could do basically tricks with them and hurt yourself while doing it. I had a, had a friend in high school, a girl, and she had a stiletto knife that was incredibly powerful. Like she stabbed the cover of her science textbook with it and it went through the cover. Certainly much harder than the uh, soft fleshy outer layer that I have. Kirk told me, he could get me a butterfly knife. Now, I had no real sense of economics or value of things yet, as 11-year-olds don't. So he told me he could get, if I gave him five bucks, that he would get me a butterfly knife and bring it to me next week. And I was very excited about this. I was excited at the prospect of having a butterfly knife that I would make me cool. I was very excited at the prospect of Kirk thinking I was, you know, pure material. 
certainly if he was going into a business transaction with me, he, he clearly thought I was a, a reputable scholar. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was so I, I don't know if I had it with me or I gave it to him the next day. But we even did it in secret. There was like a changing room. We met in the changing room and I gave him five bucks and he said, okay, I'll get you the butterfly knife. I don't know if I'd seen them maybe in magazines or something. Maybe there was a price point. The problem is most of this is vague. I am, this is where memory fails the human condition. And I have feelings and moments, but not actual full solid memories. So we've, we've gone into a sacred bond of illicit, because butterfly knives are illegal in Canada. That should have been the first thing that tipped me off. That he was getting me, I didn't understand. Conceptually, none of this mattered to me. But conceptually, an illegal item sold to you at a bargain basement price, that's not going to work out. So then the next week came along and Kirk just ignored me. He didn't give me the knife that I was promised in a you know handmade wood case. <laughs> and I realized, oh, I need to remind him because I am still optimistic. I, despite sort of my negative outlook on the universe and a lot of the stuff I say, I am at my very core an optimistic person who wants and believes things will work out in the end. And so I'm often disappointed. Maybe that's actually the problem is I'm often disappointed by the universe. It lets me down more than it should. But I've also fallen ass backwards into shit and walked away fine. So I guess I don't have any complaints. Just like a kid. Why would a kid be angry? No complaints. Your life is fine. So then I, I confront Kirk. It's been like maybe a week and a half or something. He should have, he's, he's missed his deadline. Poor business stakes. I mean, let's be honest. He's missed his deadline. So I, I said to him, uh, where's my butterfly knife? And he said, I don't, I don't have it. And then I actually remember, I remember this phrase. You better give me my knife or give me my $5 back. And Kirk laughed at me. Which he had, you know, in this position he could. Because think about my alternatives. I could tell on him. I could say that he sold me a bill of goods and did not provide uh, the end sale. And they would say, what's the end sale? And I would say, an illegal knife I'm not supposed to have in this country. So I couldn't go to an authority figure and turn him in. I could get angry at him, but I mean, for all I know, he's a psychopath. He doesn't care. So he didn't care whether I was angry or not. Fair enough. And I... I couldn't fight him. I couldn't, you know, force him to do right by me. I couldn't take my money back because he was bigger than me. He was just going to beat my ass. I think that might be the first time I was ripped off properly. And so I just let it go. But you can see I'm 49 and I still remember. I, re I don't remember the whole sequence of events as you've just heard from the story. I do remember the moment. I remember the moment saying to him, you better give me my money back. And him just looking at me like, what are you going to do? He didn't say anything, though. This was this was actually where Kirk was cooler than he, he had any right to be. He just looked at me like, yeah, and just walked off. Like, what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do. And that's, that's when I realized, you know, maybe one of the first indications that life was unfair and people were not good people. I was not ready for a criminal 
a life in the criminal underground. Let's put it that way. This was maybe my first dipping my toe in and I, I realized, you know, I'm going to have to learn a little bit more about crime before I actually, you know, take this on. And then I thought about times people were unfairly indignant. So the I have two more stories about being treated unfairly, how unfairly I've been treated. And there are, again, in the grand scheme of things, so minor, but that actually might be why they stuck with me. And one was in a bank. And this was I was in my late teens, maybe early 20s. And I was fully suited up. I was, I forget why, but I had a three-piece suit on. I really like three-piece suits. I like the vest. Because um, I, I actually am hot all the time, so I want to take the jacket off. But you still want to look formal, so you keep the vest on. It's a, it's a good look. I started it when no one else did it. You might That might sound weird, because it's not like vests didn't exist. But... Uh, when I was at that age on TV and stuff, it was double breasted suits. And I looked at those, I was like, those were horrible. I've never understood the double breasted suit. When you could have a three piece, when you could have a vest and a jacket. And the coolest thing is to take off your jacket and roll up your sleeves and still look like you're, you're ready to do some work. Probably I was going to a job interview or something, trying to get a job. And I, I went into the bank. Now there's, the, the the little cattle thing that goes back and forth. And then there's a thing in the middle where you fill out your forms. And then there was a, then it goes on a little bit more to the teller. Now there was a lady standing, filling out her stuff. And so I walked right past her. And this was the time someone got indignant at me unfairly because I walked past her and she just went, she immediately lost her mind. Uh, she, she was like, Oh, I was in line, you know, which actually you're supposed to f complete your paperwork, like your deposit or withdrawal slip, and then you join the line. That's the whole point. And I didn't have to do any of that. I was ready. But she was there first, so I just said, oh, sorry, and I let her go before me. But because she wasn't satisfied with that, she wanted a conflict, and she wanted to prove to everyone that I was a bad person and she had been done hard by which is weird because nothing really had happened. Like, it's not like she lost her place in line. She just pointed out very rudely that I had, uh, had walked in front of her. And I said, oh, sorry, and just let her go. I probably didn't even say, oh, sorry. I was like, oh, and just let her go. As I did my transaction, I heard from my right. Again, I remember this. Some people. And I was like, what? What are you angry about really? And this was maybe just she had been so downtrodden by the world. She didn't look like she was in a great place, to be honest. But the desire to be indignant was very strong. And that was, that was something I realized at that moment, like, this is something I'm going to run into a lot. Not me, just like people. Like, there are people who want to be angry, looking for reasons. This is an experience I'm going to have again. And how do I handle it? That's started me thinking, like, how do I actually handle this problem? And the problem, way you handle that is just ignore them. Um, you're not ever going to satisfy them. And if you get into a conflict... Very technically, I was wrong. I could have explained why I thought what I thought, but she wasn't going to listen, so there was no reason. So that's that's when I started down the path of just ignore them, just ignore everybody. There's one more weird example, and this was younger. I can't remember again. This was maybe 13, 14, because we're still thinking about it. So you couldn't drive yet. And I was sitting on the bus. I had some friends, and they were all sitting as well. And there was a lady standing, and there was this old man. And he said, why don't you get up really rudely? Why don't you get up and let the lady sit down? And so I didn't say anything. I just got up and I let the lady sit down. And I didn't move. And there were some nice people who said, oh, why don't you take a seat down over here? 
you know, there's another seat farther away. He goes, nah, he wants to stay with his friends, but again, in a really shitty way. And I didn't say anything at the time because I was only 13, but my immediate thought, this has actually come up again a couple of times in my life. And it's, it's one of those things where you didn't say the thing you wanted to or should have said. And so it's sort of like, uh, it would have been great if I would have felt so much better if I would have put him in his place. But the thing is, here you have an old man who asked me to do something and I did it. And then because he got away with that, because I did what he asked, he felt empowered enough to just start making shitty comments about me and making saying like talking down to me very unfairly. There is a, a silver lining here. He's dead by now. <laughs> I just thought of that. Just thought of that now. This man who pissed me off, he's dead and I'm not. So how do you like that? And I'm putting this on the internet and I'm talking shit on him after his death. This is basically going to prove whether or not ghosts exist. If he comes after me, you'll know that ghosts are real. But what had actually happened is I had done what someone had asked of me and what I got in return was disrespect. And I think that's why it still settles deep down inside and it's still there forever. That disrespect isn't going to go away. And I wish I had said something because I know what I should have said was like, you asked me to do something and I showed you respect. Maybe it's your turn to show me respect. And that would have embarrassed him in front of the other because the other adults in the area were sympathetic. Uh, they didn't like, you could see on their faces, they didn't like that this man was still saying stuff or making comments, but they didn't feel like they were in the right position to say anything either. So there's just three instances of, uh, I don't even know what that was. It was it was just I, I, me getting ripped off and feeling like unf, unfairly treated by the world. So I, I don't know. It's It's strange because when you think dispassionately, if you take a moment and, and take a step back, I've had I've never had a real problem in my life, like a real problem. Me getting sick back in February was the closest. And the fact that I had good medical care and immediately gotten taken care of, or as soon as humanly possible, because it took them a long time to figure out what was wrong. That's it. Like I'm actually, I'm up. I'm not on drugs anymore. I got to go to the doctor maybe one more time in a couple of weeks to just check that everything's copacetic. That may be one of the biggest problems I've had in my life. And what was that? Injuries and stuff, time in hospitals and stuff before that, it was all self-inflicted because I did judo or something. So that's not a problem. That doesn't count. I, I got stuck in Europe once uh, because I hadn't, I hadn't checked that I had the proper visa to go to Asia when I wanted to go. And I had a whole bunch of people help me out. So now sitting here thinking about like, oh yeah, Kirk, I wish I remembered his last name. Kirk from middle school didn't sell me an illegal butterfly knife and took my $5. Maybe that's it. Maybe those are the biggest problems I've had. I got like low-key stress from work, but even then, I've had people around me get really stressed out at work way more than I don't get as, I don't, you know, suffer from stress as much as maybe other people do. I'm not as high strung. I put a lot of work into that maybe. I actually sat down and talked to my coworkers when they're getting like really worked up and be like, look, Worst case scenario, everything goes wrong, nobody dies. Yes, we might lose a sale. Yes, a student might say something bad and quit our company or something. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a really awful thing to say because I suppose I should care more. But when we're talking about the grand scheme of things, it's okay. Maybe I should do another like a, a positive 
<laughs> I was just thinking uh, Daily Affirmations Weekly was a joke thing I did. There's like 20-some episodes. It's one-offs. Threw it up. It gets more downloads per week than Veloc's podcast, which I put way more work into. I don't know how to feel about that either. For about three or four weeks, it was like quadruple the download numbers. It was almost as much as Ninja News Japan, which gets like six or seven times more than Velocity Podcast at this point. I'm not going to sit around saying I'm blessed, but I certainly have no right to complain. If I ever start complaining too bad about something, I think people have the right to tell me to shut the fuck up. What a weird set of stories. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't talk about video games very much. I actually decided when I started a podcast, because I like video games so much, I was not going to talk about video games. But that was because when I started looking at podcasts, it is absolutely saturated. It's like movies and video games. There are a million podcasts. You're only going to ever pick one or two and listen to them, and they're going to get all the traffic, which is fine. But I realized that video games was not going to be a niche thing for me. I also don't know if I could talk about it every single week, unless I was talking with someone else, and maybe we had divergent opinions. But I was having a conversation last week with a coworker, uh, and he basically said, like, video games peaked. Now, I can tell you that he wanted me to agree. <laughs> but because his, his base assumption or his base thought was correct. Like, first-person shooters, if you go back 20 years, when I played my very first one, probably, that technically isn't so different from Modern Warfare, the last one I played. Run around a little map, shoot people, get hit a dopamine if you don't die. I mean, the formula has not changed. It's gotten more technical, faster, more colorful, things like that. Uh, faster, for sure, in some cases. Uh, my friends and I were recently playing Zombie Army, which is a much slower version of a shooter. It's not first person, but you know what I mean. Like the ba He was basically saying like the base formula of a video game has not changed in a long time. So we're not going to have any new experiences. Now, VR was his example of, for him, a new experience. And I was looking at it a different way. I don't think VR is going to take off because I don't want to wear a headset. And I actually don't want to be that disconnected from the world. I have said in the past that might be because of my age, that I'm just not into it. And maybe kids who grow up with it will find it to be perfectly normal and do it all the time. But I think uh, like like role-playing games and stuff and games that have choices. Like Mass Effect always said like you have a morality meter. So the choices you make will affect the game. But for being really honest, the effect is minimal. It's just... Uh, characters have two options for dialogue responses uh, instead of one and then they talk about rpgs but like a game like assassin's creed i just recently played ghost of tsushima um horizon zero dawn i don't consider those role-playing games because the fact that you just fill up a skill tree by the end of the game it's full so again there's not really any choice like you might fill up one first over the other but it's not going to change the way you play uh, his, he was talking about Skyrim, which I think was a good example where you basically choose a class and then you try to max out that class. You could play it enough and max out everything, but I played it all the way through twice, once as like a thief and once as like a, a actually necromancer. I, I spent all my powers like magic raising the dead. So I would kill someone, raise them, call in a demon. Uh, was that the pattern? The pattern was calling a demon when the demon killed one person, start raising that person. And so by the end of it, there was like one poor guy left with a demon and all his former friends attacking him. It was a good system. 
It actually broke the game. It made it way too easy because I stood on a mountain basically making things happen, which is the way a wizard would do it, though. He would never actually like, get into battle. But that also isn't going to change. So you have basically, those are kind of just choose your own adventures. So the skill sets change how you play. Uh, you might not get all the stories. You might forget to finish a, a quest line or something like that. And then I have always felt that there are two things that need to happen. We need processing power on a different level. And we need a new way of thinking. So one of the things I was tempted to talk about today was like my kids and what they're growing up with. Because my daughter, when I'm sitting at this computer, which is a desktop computer, she will every now and then touch the screen. Uh, and leave a dirty fingerprint on my screen, which I'm not happy about. But it's because she has grown up with touch screens as being almost default. So she has a phone. She played one of our own phones we gave her. So she works on Wi-Fi. So she plays with that. We have like uh, a pad around and stuff like that. So she actually uses touch pads more than she would use a setup like I am used to, which is a keyboard and monitor. If I designed a video game, which I think I've talked about before, uh, I would still be stuck in sort of taking what I know already, making minor modifications or trying to push it to the more slightly extreme version of that. So GTA is probably one of my favorite games. does not look like we're getting a GTA 6 anytime soon. Not really surprised. Uh, the time between each game has gotten longer and longer, and I've actually kind of given up on the series. I'm sure if they come out with one, it'll be great, but it's going to be probably years because they're, they're still making tons of money on GTA Online. But my it was a version open world game. That's my favorite kind of game, and I wanted to have basically four main storylines. And at the end of those storylines, it has an impact on the environment. So it would be like an alien invasion storyline, and then the end of that, like you blow up the mothership and it crashes into the city. And so in the city, that that is still there. And then ten percent of the population is actually these refugee aliens who just become part. So as you walk down the street, you see people, people, people. And you see little alien guy. I thought, ah, oh, you know, that would be that would be that would be changing the environment. That actually is kind of stealing the idea uh, from Saints Row, where they had different gangs, and you know, they would take over different areas. You could push them back, and they'd push forward. But if you went in, you could actually see like the borders people mixed. And I thought you could do that sort of in creative ways. But honestly, nothing new. Just trying to take things I had seen in different games and put them together to make a, a newer experience. And I attribute that to my brain. So my brain is old and it's seen a lot of stuff. And I would take the stuff I know and try to fix it, change it, improve it. But I think the future is actually going to be nonlinear storytelling. So we're close to that now. We try to, people try it. So uh, Phantom Pain, so Metal Gear Solid Five, tried to have the stories out spread across the map and you could pick up bits of them. Uh, but at the end of the day, you still started in one place, and by the end, you ended up with a single story. There were no differences or changes in the story. And this would take, the, the amount of computing power I'm talking about is off the chart. So it would have to be like the next version of a processor that's beyond what we know as a processor now. But think about, the computer actually would have to do this, not a human writer. But the humans would have to give like the parameters. Basically, you, you would start out in the same point and then go out and then every decision you make would have a butterfly effect or ripple effect to the end of the game. So if I was nice to this lady once, that would mean she told someone else I was a nice person and that would respond to me later in a positive way. Uh, that would get me access to other stuff, uh, whatever. I, again, I'm still thinking in a GTA format, so I immediately thought like better guns, but you know... 
honestly, if it was an interesting enough simulation, it might not necessarily be violent. So, and that would be maybe the future is like, you choose whether to play this environment in a violent way or a peaceful way. But then the repercussions would be long lasting as well. It wouldn't just be a meter that goes good slash bad and flips back and forth depending on your decisions. Different interactions with different characters lead to different opinions, which then affects their immediate group, like the group they have influence on. But then also like accidental stuff. So let's say in a GTA example, you drive on the sidewalk and kill 20 people. Those 20 people have families within the game. And one of those people like, could be the person who, in this example, sells you guns. But they're depressed now because their dad just died in a car accident. So you either have to cheer them up or you have to like push them around. But then again, you can see like it would push you further and further and further. Are you going to go deeper into a life of crime? Are you going to try to help people? Are you trying to make things better? But maybe you help someone feel better and it, go, it goes off rails because of other influences. So we're getting to a point where we're talking about quantum computing on a level that isn't going to be available for sort of commercial use anytime soon. It would also take a brain that probably hasn't been born yet. So someone who grows up with a way of looking at computers and the way computers interact and the way they could interact with other elements within the game system that therefore changes how uh, interactions exist because the influence of one thing would have to cascade into everything else, even if it's an incredibly minor way. But then by the end of your experience, let's say your 50 hours, which is pretty normal for an open world game, every single decision is, has been cumulative in some way. That would mean, though, you would be getting to the point where you don't really need to buy a second game. So you go back to the beginning and start playing again. Even if you seemingly made the same decisions, because elements have been randomized, they would have different results, different effects on the game world. So in that way, you would end up with a new game. And again, maybe it's a completely nonviolent game. Maybe it's just a story-driven game. Maybe it's a romance simulator all of a sudden. Maybe it's something else. The game would almost decide as it goes. It would set up a random set of environments, uh, elements, and then you would go through and experience them and have your influence on them. And then by the end of it, you know, you'd end up with a different experience. So you could end up just playing that one game over and over and over. When I did video game reviews, I refused to give anything a perfect score. Because in my mind, a perfect score meant you would never need another game. If it was perfect, you could play that game forever and play nothing else. So nothing would deserve a perfect score. I wanted to change it completely. I wanted to change our scoring system, but uh, my suggestion was do it on a percentage you would pay of the actual cost on release. So a new game is like 6,000 yen, 7,000 yen. And my review would say it is worth 5,000 yen. It is worth 2,800 yen out of the 6,000 yen release price. That would be very simple for people to understand. That's why I was going to do it that way. Like You know how much you pay for a game. You know what you feel it's worth. But that was kiboshed because the editor said well if we do that if we don't do it on a 10 scale 10 point scale system like everyone else does it means it won't get like fed into metacritic and other things and then we have less influence overall which you know is a pretty fair statement he was looking at it from a more practical point of view but i the benefit of the of the game system i've just talked about would be actually if you tried to replicate your first experience the game would actually make that impossible because by randomizing a few elements, it means the same decision has a different effect every time. 
And that's why you wouldn't need a second game to play because you could just play this over and over again. It would never get boring. And so I think basically the person with the kind of brain to make that happen with the right computing power hasn't been born yet. Certainly not. I doubt I would see something like that in my generation. I think I'm going to see advancements. When I played Ghost of Tsushima, I actually said it. I would have preferred more story missions because the story missions were really well written and less copy and paste, uh, go to the base, kill everyone in the base and escape missions, which were, they were fun, but we've seen that everywhere else. We've seen that in lots of games. So Ghost of Tsushima is not really any different from Assassin's Creed, which isn't really any different from Horizon Zero Dawn, except for the quality of the narrative. And I have basically supplanted reading with video games. I used to read constantly and it was all, it was primarily fiction. And now I don't really enjoy TV to the same degree. And I, video games are more interactive and more engaging. So I actually enjoy the narrative quite often more than elements of the game. If it's got a good story, I'm more likely to pay, play a bad game. Or if it's got something that's engaging in that way. But I'm waiting to see, yeah, if that, if that happens, if that kind of level of game happens, I think it actually, the, the, unintended consequence haha which is basically what i'm talking about the whole thing would actually be that there would be no more video games because you would just need one you could actually probably get away with a couple of companies competing to have more powerful more subtle computations which create more changes and maybe like visual upgrades and stuff but at the end of the day this would kill the video game industry because there would only be one video game that people would ever want to play and of course you could make it what you want like you could make it a violent world. You could end up in the post-apocalypse. Uh, or it could be Sunshine and... and uh, what's that game? Animal Crossing. You could end up in Animal Crossing in some version of that if you just influence the game in the right way. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast, sexy out homies.